0: Thank you. Hey folks welcome to redneck gone green i'm david cobb i am the redneck and you bet i've gone green and i'm trying to convince you to do it too right and remember y'all when i say going green i mean both green as in ecology uh, understanding of the need to connect to the fact that all life is interconnected but i also mean green party I mean, the need to break from the corporate duopoly of the two political parties and build from the bottom up a genuine mass movement uh, people's party. And I make no bones about it. I'm all about building a true red green alliance. I am a redneck to be sure, but see how clever I am. The redneck gone green. It works on so many different levels. And I always have to remind you, please like subscribe and comment the reality is that this movement is being suppressed by the algorithms but we are still growing an audience and i'm so grateful to you uh, that we've got thousands of people who are now uh, subscribed to the substack so we do a weekly writing on substack you can catch us on youtube or rumble uh, or facebook as well so thank you so much for what you're doing to continue uh to build a place where we can talk to each other without the corporate filter this is a place with explicitly non-corporately filtered news information analysis and conversation and remember this is all about convening a space we go beyond the ain't it awful right this is what is to be done and that's a hat hat to uh to vlad a very sincere what is to be done and It is with that in mind that I'm very excited to share who our guest is today. Carsey Blanton is a kick ass uh, revolutionary. She is an amazing artist, singer, songwriter of the best order. And I got to say, I see she's on. I just want to say real quick in front of everybody, I still remember at the very beginning of the pandemic, Ruthie, who many of y'all know, my partner, she came to me. She was boo-hooing, crying her eyes out. And she said, you have to listen to this. And she played Fishing With You, which Carsey had written at the very beginning of the pandemic when we lost John Prine. And y'all, by the end of that song, I was boo-hooing too. And then I found out that she's a straight up revolutionary and I've been fanboying ever since. So with that, <laughs> Carsey Blanton, welcome to Redneck Gone Green. Oh, thank you, David. I'm so happy to be here. Good to see you. It's good to see you again. Uh, and I got to say, I've seen you multiple times because I've I've been kind of following you around. Anytime you get up to Northern California, I try to make it a point, Ruthie and I make it a point to go and see you. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I, there's so much to say, but I want to start by 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 acknowledging that you're one of the rare artists from the stage who will consistently describe yourself as a revolutionary. And I want to engage that with you to Love see it. like, like, so what inspires you to do that and what's your reaction been from the stage whenever you do that?
1: Gosh, what a wonderful question. I feel very seen. Um, <laughs> uh yeah i've sort of been playing with my live show at least since COVID because i i think like a lot of people I've, i've gotten pushed further and further left um at least since like the second obama term um and so my music has been political but you can if you if you listen through my records you can hear my perspective uh shifting over the years so um in the last few years i've really been experimenting with how can i Um, authentically represent my politics, which are revolutionary um, and still put on what feels like a good show and a show that brings people together. Even if I have I doubt I have any true Republicans in the audience or like right wingers, but I know I have a lot of like liberal Democrats um, and I myself used to be a liberal Democrat. So (laughs) I'm trying to create a show that feels accessible and inspiring for everybody in the crowd, but also not have to hide uh my own assessment of the political situation which is that um the party politics are pretty much they've jumped the shark and there's not a lot we can do from within the democratic party anymore um and so i am i am interested in a revolution in this country and i think it would be uh overall a very positive thing for the whole world so i try to represent that from the stage and i try to do it with humor and with a lot of hope so that it doesn't feel quite so scary for people
0: you know and you do it so well and i i hope it doesn't i mean it like really sincerely but when i describe you i can't help but to say i said like so she's cute as a button and a revolutionary <laughs> it's like oh my god and and I, I still remember uh the the show where you had just had you and your band had just had your equipment stolen uh down in the san francisco bay area maybe oakland oh, or something yep and uh and then the way you talk about it and the ability to find compassion and humor even in that i was like like y'all rose above it like because i remember even like making a a snarky comment and one of your uh one of your bandmates uh said no we're not like
1: that (laughs) better than i am oh i appreciate that very much yeah we really you know within the band especially like we are we're very very close as a band um my best friends are my bandmates. And um, we talk a lot about politics in the in the van and on stage. <laughs> and we also talk a lot about how to structure our business. And I really try to pay attention to everybody being paid well. Um, and so we have like a very socialist band culture. And it really does come in handy sometimes, like when you're having a really hard time on the road, just to be able to like find some kindness in your hearts for each other and for whoever just stole all your shit out of your van. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, yeah. and, and so uh, th-
0: like, there's so much to say, but I, I do wanna back up uh, one moment because you talked about your trajectory, right? Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that uh, like like I know about you and I want our audience to to get to know about you is, you know, your childhood, and the kind of like what you had experienced, right? Cause yeah. I think about the lyrics to American kid, mm-hmm. right? And I can't help but to believe that there might be something
1: autobiographical in this. <laughs> For sure. Well, you know, my dad is a redneck gone green as well. Um, so I was raised in Appalachia in central Virginia. Um, and my dad comes from like a real, came by it honest, a true redneck family. <laughs> Goes back very far in that part of the world um and you know taught me how to hunt and fish and i shot shot shotguns and stuff growing up um which i think surprises people because i think if you're on the liberal democrat side of my crowd people see me as sort of like this just like kind of classic liberal white girl but um i wasn't that growing up and i'm still not that now (laughs) um right so uh so i kind of come from this appalachian culture of working class people um and my family uh had especially my dad had been very radical when he was younger and then um but I was raised pretty classic liberal democrat household and also it was the nineties and like it was just like that. It was there wasn't at least where I was in the world it didn't seem like there was a very strong culture of left of radical left uh you know it wasn't out
0: in the countryside like not in the countryside
1: (laughs) yeah exactly so I grew up in a, a pretty liberal household and you know we would like write I was homeschooled also so um, we talked about politics a lot in my household, but we would like write letters to senators and stuff as homework. <laughs> um, and so, and I worked on the Obama campaign. My little brother did as well. He was a teenager at the time. Um, we both canvassed for Obama. And then my brother went off to college. He went to Antioch of and course, came out, started sending me books, you know, <laughs> he's like, he might like this, started sending me stuff. He's, he's, young. he's eight years younger than me, but he was probably two, three years ahead of me on the trajectory to the left. So um, he started sending me books. We started having conversations. And then it was like during Obama's second term for me is when it really, I started to feel my own paradigm shift because I was reading, you know, like David Harvey um, and Mark Fisher, capitalist realism, stuff like that. And I was like, huh, you know, I thought the long arc of history was going to bend toward justice. But here we are with this guy in office who seems so great. And like our imperialist warmongering has not stopped. And our, you know, we're still our, our, uh you know, prison industrial complex still going strong. And we're still like nabbing all these people at the border and sending them back to their countries that we just destroyed in a coup for God knows what reason. So I'm like, huh, something doesn't feel right. And we couldn't even get healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like starting to feel a little weird, like around probably 20, 13 or 14, I started to feel like maybe the thing that I think is going on is not exactly what's going on. Um, and then when Trump, during the Trump campaign and when Trump got elected, I remember I had just read some quote and I can't remember, I'm really bad at quoting theory. I read a lot of it, but I always forget who said everything. Um, it was about how fascism is the last line of defense uh, if when capitalism is in crisis. And so when capitalism is in crisis, you get a movement toward the left and you get a movement toward fascism. And they both happen at the same time. And in like 2016, I was like, this is like I just read this. And this is very clearly happening right in front of my eyes. (laughs) Um, And so that was very radicalizing, as I think it was for a lot of people. Um, So that's when I start. I think that also for me, when I was a Democrat, my understanding of politics as like as patterns and history and um, sort of the the symbolism of politics was very shallow. Like I was more like rah rah go Democrats. Like that was my sports team. Um, mm-hmm. And as I started reading theory, and also as the world started feeling more and more fucked up, I felt like I had a deeper like emotional understanding of what what politics really are um which is like these vast movements of people through history and they all affect each other and they're all affected by what came before right and once i started to have a grasp on that it was like it entered the other part of my brain which is the songwriting part and i would dream about politics like once you can dream about something you can write a song about it (laughs) i always feel like so that's when i really started writing about um my different understanding my revolutionary politics was when it became something I could write about. Well, like I wasn't interested in writing about vote Hillary or whatever, you know, Right. <laughs> um, you but know, I was interested in writing about the the idea of revolution and the idea of liberation. Those are very beautiful ideas.
0: And I really appreciate it, too, because like it, the language that I'm accustomed to, what you were talking about is your move. And that is genuinely consciousness. Right. Coming to understand how the systems actually work. Right. Yeah. And for me, you know, as you might be able to tell from my gray whiskers right uh, <laughs> I've got a couple of years on you but like, to me like like i still remember and i'll tell this story real quick because I, I feel like the the audience needs to hear us being humble and and being willing to own it because uh you'll see what i mean because i still remember uh going you know i worked in construction for a couple of years uh then i went to, to junior college and then i finally got to the university of Houston, a real University, right? Mm -hmm. And I wrote a Harley Davidson. I was really cool. Uh And I (laughs) I had long hair and all. Uh And I was a little bit older than than most of the other kids. Right. But what I remember is seeing a big sign that said end apartheid now. And I was like, Oh, I know what apartheid is. That sucks. I'd like to help end it. But here's the thing, Carsey, underneath that big sign, there was a table and a fellow behind the table. (gasps) an activist i had (laughs) heard about this i had never actually seen somebody who did that right and i went up and i started talking to this fella and within three to five minutes i'm in an argument not yelling at each other but what i now understand is an actual political discourse and an argument because he had some confusing thing about how i was inadvertently supporting apartheid because the my tuition money was going to the board of regents who were investing in corporations doing business in south africa and that was a little bit confusing but what pissed me off is that fella had the audacity to say that the u.s government supported apartheid (laughs) and i was like man where'd you go to school like this america (laughs) Like we're the good guys. We, we,
1: we're the good guys.
0: That's our whole brand. <laughs> and, and Carsey, I'll never forget that fella. He didn't ridicule me. He didn't mock me. He didn't make fun of me, but he did say, look at here, man. Like I got all this material on the table, but I don't think anything on this table is going to convince you, but I'll make you a deal. The MD Anderson library is, is really a hundred yards away. And if you'll go read either U.S. News and World Report or Time or Newsweek or any of those those cover stories uh, and you tell me what you want me to read and and I will and then we can have another conversation. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. And of course, I tell that story on myself because I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. But more importantly, I tell that story to lift up that fella who took me where I was and started a trajectory for me, right? And so this is in the early 80s. From there, I I just fell into the Jesse Jackson for president in 84 and 88, Jerry Brown in 92. Uh, And I like to say uh, I learned a lot in those campaigns, right? I learned as a white person how to put myself genuinely under the leadership of people of color. Mm -hmm. I learned about building coalitions between environmentalists and uh, labor unions and women's issues. I learned about Palestine for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my life, but you didn't just learned
1: about it this week, like everybody else.
0: <laughs> uh, let's make sure we circle back and talk about that, lady. But here's the other thing I learned the Democratic Party's presidential primary is where genuine progressive politics goes to die because all the enthusiasm, all the energy, all the excitement that gets generated by plain talking, uh, uh and about movement building gins dissipates and we're basically told, okay, now get back to the back of the bus, you progressives. Yep. You know, the adultery right. charge. Yeah. And, and and so I like to say for me, Bill Clinton turned me into a, a green. Yep. Right. Yep. Uh, and the thing about Obama is Obama was is, is a case study. We ought to look at it. See, as a white person, I talked to many of my comrades uh who were black and brown and I said, I get it. I can understand intellectually why somebody who looks like you getting into the white house makes you Feels feel some important. kind of way yep. but you know what y'all i've had people who look like me and have my gender in that office my whole life and they ain't done nothing but fuck me yeah so, <laughs> like i just can't like i can't really get behind yeah like that like oh checking some kind of box right i
1: know i wish it wasn't true but david I've, i'm with you you know and so it
0: is with that that i want to say First and foremost, folks, y'all are listening and watching Redneck Gone Green. I'm your host, David Cobb. We're talking to Karsy Blanton, a singer, a songwriter, a revolutionary, uh, and just an all-around awesome human being. Uh, and I want to ask you to please like, subscribe, and comment. And I also uh, want to give you an opportunity, Karsy, to circle back. You talked about the trajectory, right, of <laughs> of where you were at, but your current politics. You're you are an Like maybe from the stage, you might moderate it a little bit, but like to make it like, you know, again, (laughs) give people a good show. But like you're a straight up revolutionary. You don't like your politics have definitely gone all the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it happened. I mean, (laughs) if it hadn't been such a depressing few years here, they might have kept me. They might have kept me just on the left edge of being a Democrat. But I fell right off like some sometime mid pandemic around the George Floyd protests. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a socialist and a revolutionary socialist. Um, And and, so
0: I want to give you a chance actually, because, uh, you know, before we, we, we went live, we talked a little bit about the party for socialism and liberation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I, I want to give you an opportunity to say what you're doing there uh, uh, with them and what, what y'all are cooking up.
1: Yeah. So party for socialism and liberation, PSL, um has been around for about 20 years now but it's grown pretty significantly in this last couple years here um and i joined in philly there's uh i think about a hundred regional branches now so there's a lot of different branches of the party um and there's national leadership as well um and they are a political party uh and they are running a presidential candidate who i think is fucking awesome um but they also uh do a lot of on the ground organizing so i got involved in philly and i was helping them raise money i helped a little bit with some some protests there in like 2021 um and with some food delivery they did a lot of pandemic um food delivery uh really, really huge program in Philly. I think it was like them and the Catholic Church um, were delivering the most food during during COVID. So they do a lot of really good work, PSL, on the ground to help people. And um, I actually joined because I was in therapy in the pandemic and was just super depressed. And my therapist was like, the only remedy for this is to, is to get involved and be doing on the ground work. So (laughs) nice. So, um, so yeah, I I joined PSL, they have a wonderful educational component to their work. They do a lot of really, really good hands on conversational um, education about not just political theory like Marx, etc, but also um, all the different conflicts happening in the world. How they got to where they are what the power di- dynamics are what the economic constraints are so um it kind of gives you a primer when you join that party in um in world politics which i found really useful um so yeah that's what i'm doing now and i'm I'm involved a little bit more as well in organizing artists and musicians now um, so but i'm, I'm not get to affiliated the artists
0: and musicians part but yeah. I really like it. We talked about this, like uh, the quality I, I want to Again, I'm a Green Party uh, person, but I I work with PSL folks all the time. In fact, Carsey, I'll let you know. Uh, uh, ask Eugene per year. I was I helped to facilitate Eugene getting the cross nomination for the Green DC State of oh. Green Party and PSL uh, when he ran. Right. That's so like awesome. I, yeah. I, 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 I believe in the Red Green Alliance and do yeah. it all the time. And I'm going to ask Jack Rabbit to actually play this clip because I want y'all to see who the PSF, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, who they're actually running for president. Jack, hit that clip.
2: The newest data suggests the U.S. economy is slowing down. The row reversal is setting off ripple effects as states implement abortion bans. Another train derailed outside Detroit today the number of Americans living without homes, in shelters, or on the streets continues to rise at an alarming rate. Does it ever feel like the political system is working against us? Like regardless of who we vote for, the outcome is always the same? We're told this country is a democracy, but more and more it feels like a corporate regime. No matter which party is in power, only the rich ever come up on top. Today, the rich is 1% or more wealth than the bottom 90% of Americans combined. On top of that, heat waves, floods, and hurricanes are becoming a regular occurrence. Artificial intelligence is threatening to replace millions of jobs, and the threat of World War III is more serious than ever. Humanity is facing nothing short of an existential crisis, and what do the two parties offer us? Culture wars meant to divide us, and breadcrumbs disguised as solutions that come nowhere near meeting the scale of the problem. Let's just say what we all know deep inside. Career politicians and real estate moguls are never going to save us. Corporate America has two parties. Shouldn't the working class have at least one? I am Claudia De La Cruz. And I'm Karina Garcia. And we're running for the President and Vice President of the United States on the ticket of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. We're not career politicians and we don't have billionaire friends. We're educators, community organizers, and mothers. You don't need to tell us that the working class makes this country run. I'm from the South Bronx and we know what hard work looks like. I know this country wouldn't last a day without the working class. So isn't it about time that we take charge? This campaign is for all of us living paycheck to paycheck. We're working multiple jobs. For all of us who are sick of watching the rich get richer while we can't even pay our rent. We don't just want to tax the billionaires. We want them out of power entirely. We need to seize big farmers, seize big tech, seize the big banks instead of letting them run our government. We need an economy that puts the people before profit, an economy built to generate prosperity for everyone, not just a handful of billionaires. This campaign is not a one-time thing. We're running to build a political organization that finally gives voice to the working people of this country. It's time to stop going around in circles while the elites change places every four years. We think this country deserves a better option, a socialist option.
0: whoo right, there it is and- <laughs> i gotta tell you right now Carsey. i guarantee you that i'm gonna get uh, clobbered day. by some of my green party friends who are gonna say why are you putting somebody else up there i'm gonna I get know. clobbered by some of my progressive democrats friends to say oh my god don't you know how bad trump is and i'm with you on this one it's like we need to build a socialist movement and yep. the way that you do that uh, is to articulate it and win yes. people over. You have and to what change I love the culture. Clip, yeah, exactly. Right. Like it, they and, and the phrase I use all the time, break it down without dumbing it down. And yeah. I think that talking plainly and simply like, I can tell you this, Carsey, I'm not bullshitting you. I can go into any pool hall or bowling alley uh, uh, where white people are, mm-hmm. uh, and and have conversations that start basically with, "Man, don't you think the boss man's got his boot on our neck?"
1: Yeah, I, you, you can say most good. of what was in that campaign video, and it would go over pretty well.
0: <laughs> go over real well, yeah, right? I think uh, so. Too. And uh, and so to me, like that that kind of conversation is super powerful. And I do want to make sure to because you talk about so you do electoral politics, right? Authentically as a revolutionary. But I also love the art and revolution part because you know, uh, you know, uh, I love the 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 phrase Tony Cambandre said the uh, the role of the artist is to make revolution irresistible, right? Yes. And it's a beautiful it's that's a beautiful saying. But one thing I know as an organizer and as a self-professed revolutionary, and that is, there has never been a social movement. That did not have art and culture interspersed. And, yeah. and like it was, it's the same fucking thing. Cause this yeah. is what I say one of the ways you know you actually have a movement, as opposed to just pedantic intellectualizing, is that the principles and values of the movement begin to reflect in poems and in song yes. lyrics and in sculpture and in plays and in visual arts right like yep. that's how you know that you actually have a movie
1: because you have to make it feel real they can't you can't just explain it that's not good enough it has to feel possible yeah i'm totally with you yeah and i think you know I'm i'm about to go to ireland for the second time this year i go over there as much as i possibly can and part of the reason is it's very like nourishing and relaxing to be in a place where there is a real left, (laughs) like where they have a political left, they have a little bit of political power. You can go, you can be in a pub in Ireland and say, I'm a socialist and people oh yeah, my uncle's a socialist. You know, it's like not, it's not totally a bizarre and weird othering thing to say the way it is here. And I think that, yeah, I think sort of the first step is to create a cultural space for the left to exist in this country And part of that is running people for president, because that's the language that everybody understands, like that's the kind of politics that America understands. We don't they don't. Most Americans do not understand that, like doing mutual aid on your block is also politics, but they understand when you're running for president and you're saying something and that's a platform. So I think it's part of it is just making it um, explicable, like there is this whole other set of ideas. It's separate from Democrats and Republicans. And hey, a lot of us think it's true. And hey, I'm writing a song about it. And she's running for president about it. And you can come to our protests. You come to our community garden. You know what I mean? It's like creating a culture that people can feel comfortable in, where you can be on the left and you can have your leftist ideas and you can just exist. Nobody has to come beat down your door and scream in your face or whatever. And the other thing (laughs) is, like, like, and, and can we not... And can we make things
0: pretty and beautiful as well as leftists, right? I love that. Can we eat really (laughs) tasty food and tell good jokes, you know, and play crap ass? Like, like this is the thing. (laughs) I want to have fun, right? And Emma Goldman's uh, exhortation rings in my ear, right? Yeah
1: if if I can't dance, i won't don't want to be part of your revolution and and I uh, always like to say, like I'm here to bring the party to the socialist Party, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> right on and I also love this idea of like mutual aid is actually part of politics, right? Yeah, and I really want to underscore like I do engage in electoral politics, right?
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: I'm not an electoral fetishist, yeah, I, I really, really want to underscore that like because I tell people this, if you want systemic transformational change and all you ever do is go and vote every two or four years, you're wasting your time. You're not going to
1: get it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right.
0: But there's a corollary, Carsey. Mm -hmm. If you say you want systemic transformational change and during election cycles, you vote for corporatist imperialist capitalist, you're wasting an opportunity. Right. like. Like, like, so to me, it's not an either or thing. It's got to be a both. And
1: yeah, I also think, and I'm, I'm surrounded by, you know, people that still believe in the democratic party all the time. And I, I don't poo-poo it, I don't think you're stupid or it'll never work or what, I mean, I do think it'll never work. I don't think it's stupid. I get the, I I get the concept intellectually. And my problem with it is that I think that that video illustrated beautifully that we are in a time of crisis. Um, We are facing a lot of existential crises, not just in America, but as a species. And one of our crises in this country is the rise of fascism. And I think that the Democrats have demonstrated for us really clearly that they are not up to those challenges. So it's not about, I don't like Biden or whatever, like that's so far beside the point. It's that the, the existing parties have shown us, they've demonstrated many times that they are not available for the task at hand. So we, ha- we literally have to try with something else. Like I've, I've just, I've sort of gotten to the point where I'm like, listen, I'm not saying vote for Biden, don't vote for Biden. I'm saying there is no universe in which even if everyone votes democratic in every election in which we're going to survive the next century. That's just, it's literally just not enough. <laughs> right. so, so I think a lot of people feel that but they don't feel that there's a reasonable alternative.
0: I think that's right. And I, I love the way you 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 do it in such a non-dogmatic, non-sectarian way, right? Uh, which I aspire to. And uh, uh, and I'll tell you, straight up, Carsey, like if yelling at people, if grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking them vigorously and saying, <laughs> wake up, wake up, would work, like I would do that. that I feel confess that like that is oftentimes what I want to do. It
1: comes easily to you. It comes easily, right?
0: <laughs> Carsey, I ain't never found it to work. Yeah. And here's the other thing. I look back on the people like that fella at the uh in the anti-apartheid movement uh back in the 80s at the University of Houston and I think about all the steps along the way where I had epiphanies or consciousness. It was never because somebody was yelling at me or <laughs> telling me I was stupid or that I just didn't get it. Like I never had learning opportunity like those yeah. were never learning. And Ruthie uh who has taught me the, the watch this phrase, the zone of proximal uh learning. <laughs> oh uh, gosh. Yeah, I know. I right? don't know that one. Uh well it's just like you learn in cycles, right? And yeah. so there is there is the uh the the center circle where like you already know everything, right? Like so, which is to say you're never challenged, right? Yeah. So you never learn anything new if you stay there.
3: Yeah.
0: The the next concentric circle uh is where you the zone of proximal development ruthie's in the chat here uh lovingly correcting me uh nice (laughs) i want to lift her up here uh uh but the point is in the zone of proximal development there's the next one where you can actually you get challenged right but there the the next big one out is a panic zone where you're just so overwhelmed that nothing makes sense you don't learn there either okay you only learn when you are are in that place of the next thing where you can go back and forth, like, okay, I learned something and then you come back. And I really do aspire, I see Ruthie do it all the time as a theater artist with uh, when she's teaching other people the the theater arts or or when I've seen her uh, do political education, she does it so naturally. Uh, Well, how about this? It's always about asking a question and letting people have those moments, right? Yeah,
1: questions and also jokes I find to be really helpful. If you can make somebody laugh, even when they don't agree with you, Mm -hmm. when you're laughing, you're very vulnerable to new information, I've found. (laughs) So (laughs) if if you can tell a joke, like a political joke, and get everybody in the room to laugh, I swear to you, that's the time I feel I've been the most effective in changing people's minds. If I've had a really good show and everyone leaves laughing, like I have a joke that I do sometimes about how I'm wanted by the FBI, so I'll do my like, uh, you know, revolutionary stuff. And I just, you know, be good to the people, take care of each other. That's the whole theme of the show. And then I'll make a joke like, oh, if Dave's here, he's my assigned FBI agent. Hi, Dave, you know, <laughs> sorry, his name's Dave. I tested good. a few names. Dave was the most, the best one anyway. But then I make that joke, everybody laughs. And I could just tell some people are like, huh, is she really wanted by the FBI? And I'm like, I don't know, probably. <laughs> and it's like I- something about that just gives them a little nudge, like, wait, what does the FBI do? I can just picture some people are going looking up. Like, wait, was MLK actually killed by the FBI? Like, it's just the joke is is gives you an opportunity to plant a little seed of new information. <laughs> well, you know,
0: uh, speaking uh, of that uh, th- that approach, and from the stage, I'm going to uh, ask Jack to to tee up the uh, after the revolution because you've got a new song out, and you, Lady, you kind of go viral whenever you you release. Uh, New things. I mean, you're definitely <laughs> tapping into folk, right? Uh, uh at I'll least in my circles. Yeah. Uh, and this good. last one though, like you like, well, it's pretty darn explicit. Like, let's just let like, you're not you're not very <laughs> subtle in this one.
1: I know. Subtlety's never been my strong suit. So
0: Jack, <laughs> if you're ready, if you're ready, brother, let let's uh let's let's hear that one from carsi Blatton.
3: Yeah, the world is small and they fucked it all long before we came around. And we work all day, try to catch a break, but it's nowhere to be found. And it's hard.
0: apologize for that and I want to say y'all go to carseyblanton.com uh and download that music and get on that lady's Patreon because I heard something from you from the stage that I could not believe or <laughs> Maybe it was a, a, one of your because Ruthie and I we are uh you know we're Patreons well, there's still something playing <laughs> right. thank you okay. thank you oh, no, Jack. No, oh, oh, okay, Jack, can you can you turn that off there you go so Carsey, <laughs> like I heard you breaking down that it actually costs you money to put like the, the how capitalism works. So I want you to explain that a little <laughs> bit uh, so that sure. people can understand what you're up against.
1: Sure. I wrote, I wrote a piece about it. If you want to hear it in real detail, you can Google Carsey Blanton The Nation. I wrote a piece for The Nation about a year ago about this. Um, but yeah, I've, I have been a professional musician for 15 years. I've been independent the whole time, so there's no record label. And I have accrued $200,000 of debt doing that. Um, and it's from both touring and making records. Those are both, uh, lost. They both lose money. They both don't make money <laughs> so far in my life. Um, but I'll say like, I'm about to go on tour now and I'm playing the venues that I always dreamed of playing the venues I was opening in like 10 years ago. And now I'm headlining and some of them are selling out and it's like success. But I swear to you, this tour is not about to break even. I think I'm going to spend a little money on this tour too. It's just the economics of the business, it's so incredibly expensive to get everywhere. And I pay my band really well. That's one of my values, but that's not actually the reason. The reason is like the cost of flights and gas and car rentals and everything keeps going up and the cost of tickets does not. (laughs) Um, And it's the same for venues. Like venues are really, um, a lot of venues are folding and it's not just because of COVID. It's like the model has kind of collapsed in recent years. And I think when there was more money floating around in the industry, like from CD sales, Then they could be subsidized like tours were subsidized by record labels and stuff like that and now there's just it's like the streaming money's so low the touring money's so low it's like where's the money supposed to come from (laughs) um but to end on a happier note i i do a lot of crowdfunding and i have a patreon and and that is the model that i use so i i can live i can keep doing this for my whole life i can go deeper in debt i don't i'm over it i don't care anymore
0: <laughs> well, we're putting we're putting their patreon uh Carcyblanton.com. uh go to that website again ruthie uh i, I gotta give ruthie credit because she's the one who who uh signed us up but all we're right. household, so we're uh thank you you know we're, we're patreon <laughs> subscribers to carsey blanton and you also will get an opportunity uh she does all sorts of virtual uh shows you get an opportunity that she she chats it up with her patreon subscribers so you've really figured out how to sort of personalize the experience carcy and and i'm okay. uh, like really it, it uh, uh again i'm fanboying a little bit but but <laughs> you know uh and i don't know if you know this about me but i used to actually promote and produce rock shows like, did you really do. So you, know. uh,
3: you know how you know, it is
0: away, like you know and look for every one of these that i'm about to name there were a hundred that that i don't even remember them but i did like you know well literally the probably the biggest thing in a small little 900 uh, seat arena in Houston, Texas, a little band you might've heard of called The Cure.
1: The Cure for 900 nice. people? That's awesome.
0: 900, <laughs> Like a, a venue that, that held 900 people and, nice. you know, Living Color and the Dead Kennedys and nice. like, like a, a long list of folks, right? But one of the things that I realized is, oh, the way that that system was working was because at that time, record labels would say, all right, if you want, it when we tour the stones or you know Tom Petty or whatever, we've got all these 20 or 30 other labels that you've got to put on. And so, you know, uh the the big like the the big stadium shows, like they they didn't know what to do, right? But we had a little niche market to say, well, all right, we'll take this show and we'll we'll flyer it and like there was a a way where you could make it work right yeah but what i've realized is that the with the collapse of the traditional record label kind of approach Mm -hmm. it actually ended up screwing most artists uh in the process so there was nothing right there
1: we're just being screwed differently now really (laughs) it's like it used to be um it used to be that there would be like a major corporation deciding how your career went. And I think some people went did well with that and some people didn't. Some people got screwed over by their record labels. And now there's very few there's like two labels left essentially that have any money. And then everybody else is just like me. Like even the small labels are basically doing what I do, which is running all the different parts of the business um, in one house. So, yeah, it's like there's it's like a lot of parts of the economy, a lot of different industries, the way that the Internet has worked and made all content free means that your content can reach more people, but there isn't any money attached to it. (laughs) So um, so if you don't mind being broke or in debt for your whole life, you can you can still reach a lot of people with your songs. And I'm like, again, I've made peace with it, but. Um, but it also means that like the tech companies write the algorithms and essentially the algorithms decide what gets popular now. It's up to them. It's not really up to any any humans anymore. <laughs> I mean,
0: which is actually something that we have to come to terms with because I'm gonna circle back and try to actually do a little, you know, old style political education. And that is the reason that fascism is rising, right? Yeah, actually is connected to what you just said because. Look at here, fascism rose, like fascism is not just totalitarian cops and you know uh, racism. Fascism yeah. is a political economic ideology, how to organize the world. Fascism rose as a political economy and a social movement in the 1930s broadly because the entire political economy was being restructured globally. It was moving from an agrarian society to an industrial one. And in that chaos, and in that, oh my God, where's my place in the world? Fascists, for all their horror, have an ideology about what to do about that. And what to do about it for a fascist is there is an us and a them. There is a nationalism associated with it. In this country, it's always white supremacy, but there are black and brown skin nationalists right now uh, in Portugal, in Africa, in India. Like so, it it, it's not about pigment; it's about ideology of otherization, right? Yeah, and it arises as a actual political force in moments of great chaos or conjuncture, what Gramsci calls a conjuncture. Yeah, here's the thing, y'all. Fascism is rising now globally, not just in the US, because the society is being restructured, mm-hmm. it's moving not just from industrial to financialization, but something even deeper, and that is capitalism exists by allowing the capitalist and the predatory class to extract the surplus value of the labor of the worker. That's literally how it works. And now with automation, technology, robotics and now artificial intelligence and what you're describing, Carsey, in the music industry, it's happening everywhere. Yeah. And so people don't know what to do and where to go. And this is the thing the neoliberal center, as represented by the Democratic Party, it's collapsing. Yeah, it really is. is. That cannot work. Yeah. So it's either going to be some version of eco-socialism or some version of fascism. Fascism.
1: That's all. That's all we really have to look forward to. And I'm that's that is why I'm a socialist. I'm like, guys, the options are not business as usual or socialism. The options are socialism or fascism. That's you got to pick one. And I think the other thing that I find kind of interesting in thinking about that very well said, by the way, is that in the transition from agrarian to industrial economies, you're getting a different uh labor relations so they need a different kind of set of workers to do a different kind of set of jobs and it's happening again now what's sort of interesting to me about the technological uh change that we're having now is that this would be a great time to implement socialism because what we need now is way less people we need way less workers to do the same amount of work and that should mean yay everybody gets three days a week off or four days a week off like just go home we don't need you anymore AI should be like, awesome. Now you guys don't have to work as much. Um, But of course in capitalism, you're just simply not allowed to have people living without working. So you have to restructure the whole society to make up a whole bunch of jobs for all these people and also have them are gonna be unemployed (laughs) and everyone's gonna be miserable. And, And literally like we have such amazing technology and resources and like abundance in the entire world now all we have is a distribution problem. Like we need to distribute our labor differently and our time differently and our resources differently. And everyone could live quite comfortably right now. Like we don't have to, it's not space age stuff we're talking about.
0: <laughs> so I got to tell you, uh, thank you for that Carsey. And, uh, like, like you, we should be celebrating this, right? Like if we actually democratized knowledge, if we democratized power, if we actually had a functioning democracy, what we would be having is, a way to do the regenerative economic development that we need to repair the damage that we've done to Mother Earth herself, but also to take care of each other, right? Like, yeah, this is the thing, like, like, really and truly, y'all, capitalism is an insane way to organize uh, a, a society. And yeah. again, it's not like organized labor today are not as uh, like, it's not that they're lazy or they're they're not creative. It's like all of the old ways of extracting concessions from the predatory class they're not working anymore because the systems are changing yeah and you know uh, uh, you know carcy I was always one to to say stop saying the revolution is coming like that's like like we have <laughs> to have clarity about the words that we're using
3: yeah
0: but here's my point and that is like we are at a conjuncture the likes of which the, the earth has never seen right. Yeah it's a global ecological collapse it's not coming it's here and getting worse Yep. capitalism can't solve it no nope. capitalism is the problem right yeah so we're going to have to have a new society yep. and i want to lift up uh z manny who is a frequent co- contributor here uh on redneck gone green uh who says if we imagine mm-hmm. the ideology of the german shepherds in a concentration camp the point of view of the impulse-driven attack dogs blindly adapting their masters. That's how I see fascism uh, mm-hmm. versus capitalism, and I think that that's a like this is what we've got to do, y'all. We've got to figure out how to break it down without dumbing it down. Yeah. How to talk honestly about the interconnection between white supremacy and capitalism and heteropatriarchy and settler colonialism, yeah. and say, well, you
1: know. Sorry to interrupt you, but just got excited about something you said and that and that comment. I was thinking I was thinking recently and I can't remember what I was reading, but um, there's so there's something that fascism and capitalism have in common. And it's actually a first premise. It's a it's a very deep shared value, which is that some people deserve to live and some people don't. And so I think that's one reason that a lot of people, especially in America, which is like the, the heart of super capitalism, we do it the best and the most and we deserve it, whatever. So in America, it's like, it's very easy to change from, hey, I think the free market's great, to, hey, I think the Jews shouldn't be allowed to live anymore or the blacks or whoever it is, whatever they're saying now, I don't even know. Um, or like immigrants, right? Because they share a principle, which is these people over here now, they should have food and shelter These ones don't deserve it because they're drug addicts or they're homeless or they're crazy or they're lazy Um, or if you're a fascist because they're this race that I don't like. Right. But it's all it's pretty easy to get from one to the other. And my ideology and the socialist ideology and everybody on the left is actually everybody who's born deserves to live. Let's just go ahead and say that as a first premise. Okay, what if everyone who's born deserves to live? Then what? If you use that as a first premise you very quickly get to socialism because there's really only one way to do it and it is that everybody has to help everybody and everybody has to share it's like it's like a kindergarten ideology really and and it's still a good
0: one (laughs) and i want to lift up bill who because we like to actually bring in uh different ideas i mean we uh and so uh bill writes in to say while i understand your point of view like most of you're speaking of the duopoly of socialism against capitalism that we're conned into. We need to look outside this box they are holding us in. This is about a spectrum, not just two choices. And that reminds me of how you were talking about your own trajectory. Right. Uh, And one of the things that I do, Carsey, is I'm always asking myself, like when I'm in conversation with folks, in those pool halls, bowling alleys, in a in a Uber or a Lyft or, or wherever I'm in conversation, I try to size people up and say, is this somebody that is genuinely in a discourse with me, right? Yeah. And if so, I spend a lot of time really patiently, like, trying to win them over, right? Because yeah. I do believe that, like, we have to win people over, yeah. right? And uh, again, like, humor, but also, like, a little empathy, right? Like really compassion, like really listening to people. And like, I have found that most folk actually love their children. Yeah, You know, most folk like people are not actually like signing up for, Oh, I'm on the side of death and destruction. Right. right? I'm on the side of oppression. Like that's not how people see themselves. Yeah. So, you know, but I'll tell you another thing I used to always say, and you'll, I think you'll appreciate, I have no enemy, but my class enemy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but now i have to come to terms carsey members of my class are actually breaking fascist
3: yeah and, yeah and
0: i do believe that those people are my enemy now others can try to win them over but i got i got lower hanging fruit right yeah. like <laughs> i don't actually so i do assess people and if they're uh like one of your one of your recent songs right <laughs> That, that like you're trying to win folk over. I don't fool with them, so I'm going to give you an opportunity if you <laughs> want to talk about that song because I know you.
1: Do talking you're talking about ugly, nasty, commie bitch, or are you talking That's about rich one. people? Okay, yeah, I'm. <laughs> I don't know. Is that one queued up? We can show it if you want. Up to you, but um I could just talk about it. Too. Yeah, talk about it, and I'll ask Jack to
0: queue it up. So because sure. so I don't know if we've got it queued up right away. I just was inspired.
1: Um, yeah, so I, I, um as a. As a woman on the Internet making political statements, you'll be surprised to learn I get quite a lot of trolls. So like a very big part of my life has become just just try not even moderating anymore. I don't, I gave up on that, but just like ambiently seeing a lot of like very upsetting uh, conspiracy theories and violence, violence towards me and accusations and all this really nasty stuff. Um, And I wrote this little song as a sort of response to the trolls. But the, the idea behind the song is to say like, yes, that's right. I'm the boogeyman, I'm your worst nightmare. I take a bath in the blood of the rich, right? All that kind of stuff. Like I'm everything you thought of that's so horrible. But also like, who are you? Are you my worst nightmare? Are you all these terrible stereotypes? And then the it comes around to be like, actually, no, we're in this together and our only enemy is our class enemy, like you were saying. <laughs> so uh, it's a one minute song. I tried to make it a a real, a class solidarity song. I don't think it worked, but I'm always working on it. <laughs> no,
0: I mean, it was, it was really interesting. So uh, I can tell you this. Uh, a more accessible, perhaps, uh, version uh, is also one of your jazziest numbers. So oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, And I know you know which one we're about to play. So, Jack, you want to you want to hit this one? I, I want to give people a taste of Carsey. All right. Seems like
3: bad news all the time. We got floods and fires and wars and crime. They try to tell me who i ought to blame, but I know who it is. Cause it's always the same. But don't be ashamed if you get confused when you talk to your friends or you watch the news. They try to tell you where it all went wrong. Now you don't need to argue; just sing this song. It was rich people stacking the deck, rich people with big fat checks, rich people they're having a ball, rich people been fucking
0: us all. And I will say, I heard you do that song and the crowd did go wild. Yeah. And they were, they were laughing. But also, uh, I
1: mean, crying. <laughs> they were crying,
0: right? you, were, you were you were doing some political education and also stoking some of that really tasty class resentment. Yeah. Uh, and because one of the things and I want to be clear, y'all, uh, when I talk about class, I'll just speak for myself and, and Carsi can react. But I don't mean merely socioeconomics. I'm talking about who fucking owns the means of production. What is the classification of people who were actually making the rules and deciding how to organize society?
1: What I and like to say when I play that song is if you're not rich enough to buy an election, this song's not about you. <laughs> you do say, yeah, I heard you do that twice now. Yeah. Actually. Just to clarify, because you always get a couple people in the front row wearing nice clothes who look real nervous. And you're like, no, no, no. I don't mean you have a vacation home or like you drive a Bentley or whatever. I mean, like you're deciding what the rest of us have to deal with. (laughs) Right.
0: Right. You know, it's really interesting, Carsey, because I do feel like having honest conversation with each other uh, like this, uh, part of what I'm trying to do with Redneck Gone Green is actually to say to folk, we're not alone actually we, there are way more of us than we realize yeah. but uh and i do feel like the uh, the the idea of social media if like honestly if the algorithms weren't being used to separate us like there's actually a lot of us who yeah. believe the way we believe right uh, and we might it's anyway i'm just saying i think that there is something to this idea of having honest conversation with one another about what is happening and then again, what is to be done. Yeah. And I do want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your work organizing artists yeah. in a revolutionary context, because I'm really excited to learn about that.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I can't say that much about it specifically yet because I'm sort of I'm working on a really exciting project that is not announced yet. So stay tuned. But um, but I am really interested in the idea of like artists are in a way, they're the ones creating the culture. So obviously a lot of our culture gets created by advertising firms and like politicians and speech writers and stuff. But a lot of it gets created by people, working class people who identify as artists and some who don't, right? Especially in like the age of TikTok, there's a lot of people creating culture right now. Um, So I'm really interested in having a collective, organized group of those people where like you're saying, we can do some discourse together, figure out where we stand uh, as a block on political issues um, and like, you know, make art that uh, helps people understand the, the kinds of things we're talking about, helps people understand their class position, helps people understand Israel and Palestine. It's like, there's we're up against like the biggest propaganda machine in the history of the world. And that is the American political and media uh, behemoth And they're extremely powerful, but they don't win every time. And the reason they don't is because the rest of us are out here making culture too. So I'm really interested in um, that political concept, like not just doing elections and doing on the ground work, but also just getting the people who make the culture together. (laughs) So I'm working on that.
0: Fantastic. Well, uh, I, as you know, uh, w- I was able to bring you into the Decolonizing Economics Summit. And Ruthie, my partner, uh, who turned me on to you, uh, uh, did a panel on uh, art, culture, and revolution. And i nice. love to, to bring you back. And maybe by then there may be something more to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, I love that as well. Topic. I'll say it again, y'all. There has never been a movement that art and culture and various mediums Like that's how, you know, it's a movement, right? It's not like ideas have got to actually, people have to feel them and then express them through different artistic mediums. That's how you actually know that it's working, right? You gotta
1: make it fun. It's gotta be fun. You gotta make it
0: fun, you gotta make (laughs) it fun.
1: And again, make it
0: beautiful, make it sexy. Yeah. Yeah, Like like these are good things. Like 100%. You know, so listen, Carcy, this hour has absolutely just flown by. I do want to give you an opportunity uh for any last thoughts, and I'm gonna say, folks, stick around because I've made reference uh fishing with you a couple of times. We're gonna close out uh with a song that made me cry and still does when I hear it, but I'm gonna give Carcy, a chance to say a a few final words.
1: Sure. I guess I have two plugs. One is um, if you're an artist and you got excited by the thing I was just talking about, like what if there's a collective of artists who talk about politics? Um, Go ahead and email me for now, carcy at carcyblanton.com. I'll put you on the list for letting you know when that project is launched. Um, And the other thing is I'm just about to leave on Thursday. I'm leaving for a tour of Colorado and the West Coast. So if you're in any of those cities, major cities in Colorado or the West Coast, um, come see our show except if you're in Portland, because it's sold out. Sorry. Oh, look at you. (laughs) I think that does it for
0: me. Thank you. All right. So listen, y'all, I want to thank you again for watching. Please like, subscribe, comment, share. Uh, And the last thing that I'm going to let you know, two things. One, next week we'll be joined by Reverend Billy of the School of Stop Shopping, uh, or the Church of Stop Shopping. Uh, Talk about somebody who uses political theater uh, and make shit fun. Uh, y'all are going to love Reverend Billy. And I'll close it out and ask Jack Rabbit to take us out with fishing with you. Jack, we're not hearing nothing.
3: The tunes, they were sweet as peaches, crazy as loons, always telling us how to be good to each other. Your smart ass smilin', nameless lover, but it's rough down here since we got the news. Might take a miracle, kill these blues, everybody been crying like a little girl in the whole wide big old goofy world tonight in heaven is a happy place they were all sick of singing amazing grace and now was fish and whistle lean on me everybody's singing in harmony tonight in heaven it must be nice they're all eating peaches in paradise and all of them angels lined up in a queue just to go fishing with you just to go fishing with you Hey John Pride, just one more thing, you're the one who made us all wanna sing, you made it look so easy and look so fun. We'll sing a little sweeter now that you're all done. Please tell Petty we've been breaking down since. Merlin, Bowie and Leonard and Prince, you got a pretty good band up there I guess. We all wish you all the best. Tonight heaven is a happy place, they were all sick of singing amazing grace And I was fishing and whistling on me, everybody singing in harmony Tonight in heaven it must be nice, they're all eating peaches in paradise All of them angels lining up in a queue, just to go fishing with you just to go fishing with you Just to go fishing with Jesus and Petty and you